Welcome to the Business Intelligence Podcast from Proactive Worldwide with David Kalinowski. In our previous discussions on wargaming, I learned first what a wargame is, why do it, and how a company can build their own capabilities at setting up their own wargames. David gave us some real-world examples of how clients have succeeded with wargames, and perhaps more importantly, how doing a wargame wrong can sour a company's appreciation of the transformative power it could have had. One of the biggest aha moments, though, was learning how a business war game can actually become a lens into the power hidden within an organization itself that may lay dormant until an exercise like a war game brings the right people together. In this episode, an even deeper aha moment occurs, along with specific time and resource requirements to set up a war game. David picks up the conversation on how to begin thinking about a war game when a lot of effort may already be in place with existing strategies and how to be mindful of the importance of a proper starting point. Yeah, you don't want to offend somebody who worked a long time really hard at putting a strategy together for the company Yeah, because they believe that's the right approach. They believe it's the right thing to do. And, you know, and they might even be having marginal success with it. You know, but then to challenge that or question that, it's hard for people to do because you don't want to come off, hey, you know, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes to hear that, right? But if you set an environment that it's not about right or wrong, it's about evolution, right? How do we evolve? How do we keep building on the momentum that we have right now and make it better? And, you know, there's a lot of different people in different functional areas that never get asked for their input. And so when you bring cross-functional people together, now all of a sudden, yeah, hey, uh, marketing, before you start pitching <laughs> this, better think whether or not we can even sell it, <laughs> right? Or, hey, before you start marketing and trying to sell it, can we even make the damn thing? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so you have to have the different groups collaborating in a way that allows each other to respect and appreciate their piece of the puzzle. I can definitely see how a plan and a process can pull those things together that is pretty difficult unless you, you kind of approach it in the way that you're describing. Well, that's why they own, there's a big difference between, say, the Japanese culture of decision-making and, and U.S., right? You know, in the Japanese environment, typically you will have, you know, an idea, uh, a strategy or a, a launch or something, and you, you pass that along, you know, to each different functional area, and they kind of got to literally put their stamp of approval on that plan and their phase, their contribution of it to go to the next phase and discussion. So think about a jagged line, Right then, all of a sudden, uh, everybody along the way that would be involved in executing on that agrees with that plan, and then it's a straight line toward the target after the final stamp of approval. In the U.S., what happens is there's an immediate approval for something by an executive, and then to execute is all that jagged stuff that I talked about. You, then you start hearing, you know, folks in in marketing going, "Well, we need more time to develop the marketing piece," and sales going, "Well, that price is too high. I can't." sell you know at that level and regulatory saying hey did you guys consider though this upcoming pending legislation that's uh you know in the house right now and and then you have all these things that delay or even derail the launch right where in other cultures a lot of times that's done before the decision and what we're trying to say here is let's have some of that discussion about your strategy before you hit the enter button, if you were going to roll out a new hamburger, you know, at, at a restaurant, you know, a, a big fast food chain, usually they'll test market it in some, you know, handful of stores, right? 
And then, boy, they have great success and great feedback. Then they roll the thing out. You know, or they'll change the, the formula, right? They'll, you'll change the taste or whatever to get it right. They don't just, oh, here you go. Sometimes you have a national wide launch, but usually there's some piloting. Why aren't we doing that with our strategies? <laughs> it's crazy sometimes when you think about it. Oh. Companies are not pressure testing their strategy before they roll it out. It's as it's rolling out, do they have to tinker with it and change it and move it? Figure that out beforehand. I see what you're saying. You're saying that people will roll out products and, and beta test products and get feedback, but you're saying that people don't really try that to the strategic part in the same exactly way. Exactly right. It's oh. exactly right. If you're, if you're creating a software launch, you have multiple versions, iterations of that, and you have beta groups, and you have feedback, and then you tinker with it before it rolls out. So you get at least as many of the bugs out. It won't be perfect, but you know as many as you can. We don't see the same rigor with people testing their strategies <laughs> to see if it's the right strategy. And in some cases, they might not have any strategy. They, you know, they might be winging some things. So then use this tool of wargaming and simulations to help you create your strategy. Wow, I love that example. What does it take for somebody to get into one of these, to, to, into a war game? You know, what kind of time, what kind of investment do they need? Yeah, good question. You know, the, their time investment, actually, whoever is helping to coordinate, like with our firm, they might have 10 or 12 hours worth of time over, over the first couple of weeks to help map out and design the game and be clear on the objectives and other things. But the participants themselves, again, they usually have about five to eight per team uh, cross-functionally, but they usually don't have to spend more than you know an hour or 90 minutes preparing. They, they have to read the briefing book. That's the biggest thing that they have to do to prepare. Then, of course, you have the day itself and then any post-work activity. And there's always post-work activity, but then usually, you know, there's smaller groups that will break up. At the end of the war game, you have very clear sets of responsibilities of, you know, who's going to get what by when based on what we just determined are the prioritized actions. And then they will go and set up meetings the, the, the ensuing weeks to start to, you know, put that into action, right? But not a whole lot of other time investment by, by the majority of the people that participate. So let's say um, I wanted to hire you today. I said, you know, David, uh, let's do it. What's the length of time and when do, when, do you, when do we expect things and whatnot? Yeah, so it's about, a, about an eight to 10 week total process. So the, the first couple of weeks are really, again, planning out uh, the overall engagement and, and better understanding, uh, as I mentioned, the, the objectives and who's going to participate and where are we going to hold the event? You know, is it on site? Is it off site? All those other types of logistical things. What information do you have that you could collect that you could give to us? And then we'll usually about four or five weeks in, then provide a draft of the briefing books so that they start to get a read of the content and say, okay, hey, you know what? I think we need a little bit more related to distribution strategy or yeah, what you got here is great. We're, we're, we're good. I don't think we need any more details. Um, so there's some communication and dialogue around the briefing books. And there's also even at the, the very early stages, like you talked earlier about, you know, do you ever have any people during the event that kind of maybe turn things upside down? And I shared that, try to avoid that during the planning process. But you also want to interview and have a couple conversations during the planning phase with a couple of key stakeholders to understand, okay, you're investing in this. What do you want to make sure comes out of it? What do you want to make sure some of the key takeaways are? So again, we designed the exercises and the discussion you know, to drive toward that area. That first part takes about seven weeks of total time. Then you have the event, and then you have a, about a week of elapsed time after that. We'll pull together all the findings. We'll summarize all the content. We'll take pictures of all the exercises that will be up on the wall and be able to, to provide a report out that captures all the content for that day. So like a week after the event and they get kind of like a post-mortem. They get a report on it. Exactly. And, and what the key action steps are you know, coming out of that. 
Right. What you can do with this. Can you share some some different pricing or just some some ranges of what kind of a dollar investment it would take? Well, you, you want my competitors listening to this podcast here to get all the insights okay. of our pricing? All right. I just had a check. <laughs> no, that's yeah, a fair question. I think it's a common question. What does it cost to transform the fabric of people's lives with a business war game? Well, David goes on to talk about the different levels of war games and their costs, and then maps out how that investment is maximized against six key considerations. And then finally, he gives us some tips on how to prep for a war game until your organization is ready to officially jump in. It definitely varies depending on the, the scope of the engagement, right? Is it a global war game? Again, if we're looking at one company versus three companies involved in the war game, uh, it, it varies. But I will share that a typical scrimmage, you know, the smaller version of one, you know, usually is probably in the you know twenty-five to fifty k range. And the the traditional competitive war games that have you know four teams involved and four different briefing books and all the prep time going into it and the post time after it, the total investment for that, uh, excluding the out of pockets is, is usually somewhere typically between you know seventy five thousand and a hundred thousand dollars. So somebody can actually can execute a decent war game scrimmage type of thing starting at twenty five K. Absolutely. If it's if you're looking at one particular company and you there's a couple of very specific business issues that you want to face, then yeah, d- definitely. And the challenge always be, you know, an executive all day here is fifty thousand dollars for one day. What? You know, but they don't always think about and are aware of all the work that goes into building that. But the more important thing is, yes, it's 50 grand or 75 grand or 100 grand, whatever it is, uh, or more if it's a multi-day event. But you're talking about decisions and a strategy that affects often hundreds of millions of dollars inside your organization. I think it's also fair to, to say that the value is also in the months of prep in the study to where I'm, I'm imagining you're bringing in some playbooks that might be difficult or impossible for them to produce for themselves about what the environment the, the, you're talking about. The playbooks themselves is a big, you know, that's a big part of the fee structure. So, you know, you're, you, if you have four playbooks that you're creating, those often are really valuable to, uh, to the participants because, uh, you know, they, they may not have seen one before right. uh, on, on their competition. And again, a lot of companies have in-house intelligence functions or research functions that are doing competitive profiles. So they may have seen bits and pieces, but not, not all may have compiled a document like the way that we do for this, you know, that they can share for with everybody else who didn't even participate in the war game, right? Yeah. It gives anybody else in the company an overview of the competition. Uh, to me, I guess I would see that um, because the study and the competitive modeling that you do for those, you know, Two months before uh, before the event happens, that that's important because you could be you could be doing these war games on information that's not accurate. Well, that's a really important part. If you have data that's that's wrong in those briefing books, or, or that shallow, isn't or, touching on the right thing, yeah, or isn't touching on the right things, you know, you're having discussion about about the wrong topics, and that's why you know there's always a challenge with with these because you know do you have the right people in the room that understand the, the market or the competitors enough that they will appropriately represent the competitor view. So that's why the team configuration becomes really important. And that's why if that is missing, then the facilitator, because there's usually one major, one master kind of facilitator of the whole event, and they will then double their role and lead one of the breakout teams. But then you typically have a facilitator at each of the 
the teams for the breakout exercises to, again, make sure they're doing the exercises right, that they're on time. You know, they're not spending too much time on one piece of the exercise or they're not going off on tangents. And to make sure that the outputs get produced from that will produce the insights that we need to, to form the right decisions. Right, right, right. So the facilitator, most important, somebody who really thinks and studies and has done a lot of work to make sure that you you know, you move things along in the right way is a huge deal, but also uh, the pre-planning, right? So uh, interviewing and, and understanding who the characters are, that's a, that sounds like a really huge part. Like you said, uh, when you get in, when you put all this time into the event and then you get to the event, if you didn't do a good plan, things could break down pretty easily. And then... Yeah, there, there, there are six key elements for a successful war game in my mind. Uh, one, as you said, the, the expert facilitation. Second is having clearly aligned objectives. Uh, if that's not understood of what the most senior sponsors of the engagement want to get out of it, then it won't be a successful result. Uh, the team member selection, so the right mix of personalities, you can't have all eight types in there. You got to have the right mix of personalities, the right mix of uh, specialties or, or functions, uh, and the right mix of, of knowledge. Four would be, you know, the quality briefing books. Yeah. Uh, a fifth element of a successful war game is the exercise selection. So having that dialogue during the pre-planning phase about, hey, here's six potential exercises. We need to pick two. And you know, here's what they will each deliver, you know, which one best aligns to the desired outcome. Because you can have great exercises, but then when you try to link it back to the objectives, you might not be able to if they were the wrong exercises. Right. And then the sixth uh, key element of a successful war game is actually you know, capturing the prioritized action steps and then making sure that there's follow-up activity taken. The worst thing is to invest, have a tremendous game. Everybody walks away excited, feeling great, a lot of new learnings, and then slowly everybody just falls back into their normal duties and jobs, and nothing ever happens. <laughs> oh. So we make sure that at the end of that day, it's very clear about who's going to take responsibility for driving forward these next action steps. And then it's on them, you know, to actually pull together some groups and start to move it, move it forward. Can a, can an organization say to you, Hey, we're worried that even though you've done all this great stuff and you made all this responsible, uh, we're worried that we're not going to do it. Do you offer services, you know, follow-up services where you can help them through that to guarantee that actually stuff happens? Only through some light counseling, if you will. Right. And I don't mean, uh, you know, psychiatric counseling. It's really about educating senior leaders on how to use the learnings and making sure that the people who are reporting now these findings uh, to the senior executives are skilled to doing so and are very clear about, you know, how to get them to listen. And oftentimes you need that C-suite champion on board who then with their peers can kind of ring their bell a little bit about it's time to take some action here and have some discussions because a lot of times, you know, quite frankly, when even there's just known discussion with the senior executives about some of the outcomes of the war game and maybe one out of five things gets put into play, that's really motivating still for the participants that were involved because they knew they were heard and they saw the action was actually taken and listened to and hey, guess what? I'm going to do this again because, you know, it, it's working versus, yeah, we did all this great stuff. It's been eight months and nothing's changed. Can you tell me where where's War Games headed? How is it evolving? What do you see in the future of War Games? One of the biggest things I continue to see it evolving is, is not only being used for strategic purposes. Again, I think there's a couple out there that will 
differ with me on that and, and think it's a waste if it doesn't impact strategy. But I think the way in which the leadership discussion uh, evolves in these events, so doing more business modeling in these, not just about moves and counter moves. So understanding things such as, you know, what are the customer segments? What is our unique value proposition? You know, who do we need to have strategic partners with? Where are we going to get our, our next wave of revenue? And what's the cost structure against that? So, you know, creating business models around those areas. I think using more game to help innovation uh, labs and the innovation teams better understand, you know, what, what are some areas that we can evolve and kind of leapfrog ahead of the competition. I think using war gaming to help create your company's next next vision. So you might have an, an established three-year vision in place or five-year plan or whatever it is, but being able to say, okay, so starting 2021 and going forward, you know, what's our inspiring new vision look like? And um, being able to use some tools that are out there that allow you to capture some really bold steps and bold initiatives, thinking way outside the box, being super creative uh, to be able to advance the organization. So I, I think those are some of the, the key ways that I see things evolving where ultimately the best evolution is when these type of events make their way into the planning process where before we you know create our plan, just like you're creating a plan, right? You go out, and you understand the market opportunity, the size of the market, what our go-to-market's going to be, what our delivery of that's going to be, what support we need around that. You do all these different things in your in your business plan. Are we not pausing for a moment to then pressure test the strategy we just created? Let's make that part of the process. You know, and even as you're planning a new product launch, you know, a lot of times we have research teams that they'll, they'll be scrambling, saying, "Oh my gosh, we're, we're launching a new product in in three weeks," and now all of a sudden. The brand team wants to learn all this stuff about the competitor. We should have been doing this two months ago. If you know already at the beginning of the year all the different initiatives and, and whether it's product launches or new strategies or geographic expansion or whatever it is, then just make sure to build into the timeline a component that says, hey, let's engage in one of these games so we can understand competitor intent and how it might impact our plan. Let's say somebody is like, yes, we want to do a war game, but we're not quite ready for whatever reason. Are there some things they can do to get ready so that at the moment they're ready to to bring you guys on, that they're a little bit ahead of the game? They can understand the strategies and the assumptions of their current business units. You'd be surprised at how often folks who want to run some of these uh, don't know uh, the strategies, or they don't know um, if there's even scenarios in place. You know, good, best worst case kind of scenarios already somewhere in place about the future. Because what the war game can ultimately help you to do is at least start the process to understand what do we need to, to be monitoring and tracking along the way to, you know, of certain indicators to tell us which future scenario is most plausible, which is most likely to happen. You know, so the more that, and you know, from a prep standpoint, the team can can learn about the, the company's strategies and its assumptions that it has and some of its scenarios that are in place. I think that would, that would help quite a bit uh, in prepping in advance. So there you have it, a three-part series on business wargaming from a company and expert who's been fine-tuning this process over decades, working with multi-billion dollar organizations all over the world. I highly encourage you to learn more about business wargaming by visiting proactiveworldwide.com wargaming and then reach out and have a direct discussion with a proactive worldwide expert on how a business wargame might work with your organization. 
Stay tuned for our next episodes on business intelligence, including some predictions on what it will look like in 2019. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.